You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks for all your support throughout the years. We certainly appreciate it. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. Today, we're joined by the Air Force Special Operations Command Senior Enlisted Leader, Chief Corey Olson. Uh, Command Chief Olson provides strategic vision on an enlisted level for Air Force Special Operations Command, and he has a long history spanning over 30 years in the Air Force, and most of his time spent in Air Force Special Operations Command or doing some kind of project uh, within uh, Special Operations. So without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Chief Olson, welcome to the Ones Ready podcast. We appreciate you coming on. And we, like I said before, we want to be respectful of your time. So we'll get right into it. And then I'll just record the uh, the other intro after all this. So um, again, welcome. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, a lot of folks that, you know, if you're not familiar with what our demographic is, we, we've got an age range from about 15 to 25 year olds, um, you know, from, from high school students that are looking to join Aspect War or the Air Force in general, you know, join the ASOC team. And we also have some folks that have gone, you know, the NSW route or the, the USASOC route. So we've got a good mixture of folks that are just looking for good uh, mentorship, advice, and kind of what ASOC as a whole is doing in the future. So um, if you don't mind, give a little bit of your background, um, however detailed you want to go, it's it's fine. You know, if you want to stay under the, the veil of, of AFSOC, and, and we, we could do that. But uh, a lot of folks want to know about a bit about you and uh, on to you. Okay, well, thanks. Let me start out with uh, first, thanks for having me on today. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for taking the time. I know we had to reschedule uh, one other time and my apologies for that. And uh, so, uh, but uh, really, uh, uh, Peaches, to your question. Uh, so I've been in the Air Force for, for 30 years, uh, over over 30 years now, but uh, the majority of that time is in AFSOC, right? 20 plus years in AFSOC. I uh, started out Air Mobility Command and then came over uh, to AFSOC. Uh, the majority of my AFSOC time up until about six, seven years ago was inside of the data mass side of the house. And, and for your viewers that are out there, you know, data mass really means, hey, we just don't put all the information out there about uh, what you do and where you do it and who you do it with. And so not trying to put a veil of secrecy on it. It, it just is what it is. Uh, when you look at it through that lens. Uh, but I'm an aircraft loadmaster by trade, so I'm a flyer uh, by trade is what I do. Um, and so I grew up uh, doing that from the time I was a staff sergeant, uh, really till I was a senior master sergeant. And then I came to the headquarters Air Force Special Operations Command staff where I worked in the uh, A3 operations uh, directorate. Uh, did that as a uh, functional manager, uh, managing the load masters, and then eventually uh, kind of leading the directorate for a period of time. Uh, after that, I left to go be a group superintendent um, at, a, at a data master organization. Did that for a couple of years. Uh, and then uh, I didn't know what I was going to do after that, but I can offer to you that I never planned to be a command chief like I am today. Uh, that was not an aspiration of mine. And uh, when uh, I got to that crossroad uh, where they asked, they go, hey, uh, of course, what are you going to do next? And I go, I'm doing it. What do you mean? What am I going to do next? I'm loving it. And the problem is I, I had only about 20, 21 years in at that point. And they go, well, you can't do that for the next nine or 10 years. And I said, 
I can't. So at that point, uh, I was reminded that, uh, hey, have you thought about what's next? And I said, not really. I said, what do you think about being a command chief? And and I was like, I hadn't really put any, put any thought into it, frankly, because uh, uh, where I grew up, we didn't grow up with a command chief internal to us. Uh, the only command chief we had was the, the Air Force Special Operations Command Command Chief. So I uh, obviously knew the individual, but didn't know what they did. And so I, my view was, why would I want to go do that? Uh, and then so as I got schooled up a little bit, I was like, okay. And, and the words that were kind of given to me was, hey, if you want to make a change uh, for a lot of people, get a seat at the table. And, uh, and so as I kind of dug into that, uh, I realized what they were talking about was, hey, take all your education, training, and experiences and make it better for all the other people. And so uh, at that point, I, I went all in and said, okay, I'm interested in becoming a command chief, not knowing how that would play out. Uh, and, and in the end, it played out favorably, and, and, and I made the list. And then I went on to the 58th Special Operations Wing out at Kirtland Air Force Base uh, under Air Education Training Command. That was my first time in Air Education Training Command, other than you know basic training and the like. Uh, really, really enjoyed that job. I got to understand the institutional side of our Air Force. Uh, did that for uh, a year, year and a half. And then I came to the first special operations wing here at Herbert Field, uh, where I was the command chief for, for uh, just under two years. Uh, and then, believe it or not, uh, I put in my papers to retire. Uh, and I did that uh, because uh, my mom had gotten ill. Uh, my dad had already passed on. And so I what I've always known about throughout my time in the Air Force, my family is more important than the Air Force. The Air Force does not trump that. And uh, now where my error in that was, was I didn't really discuss that with anybody. I didn't discuss that with the uh, FSOC command chief at the time. I'd only talked to my immediate boss, who at the time was was Colonel Sean Farrell, uh, now Major General Sean Farrell. And he said, hey, do, do what your heart's telling you to do. And so I put in my papers to retire. And so uh, I get a couple phone calls that weren't very nice uh, about why I'm retiring uh, because of the amount of effort people had put into me. Uh, and, I, and I was like, ooh, uh, I probably could have handled this a little bit better. So the moral of that part of the story is, uh, you know, communicate uh, uh, up, down, laterally, and often. And uh, I did a poor job of that. And so a couple weeks later, really what happened was I got a call from the chief's group, you know, uh, for all the uh, chief master sergeants out there. That's who handles all of our assignments. And they said, hey, why are you retiring? And I said, hey, I'm retiring because my mom is ill and, uh, and I, I think it's the right thing to do to go take care of my mom. And they said, hey, uh, well, where does your mom live? I said, well, my mom lives in Wisconsin. You know, that's where I'm originally from. And, and they, they offered, well, if there was a job in Wisconsin, uh, would you take it? I said, uh, I said, well, I wouldn't rule it out. I'm not leaving the Air Force because I don't like the Air Force. I'm leaving because my family's more important. And so uh, a week or two later, I got a call back from the chief's group and they said, hey, we found you a job in Wisconsin. And uh, if you've ever been to Wisconsin, it's not, you know, full up with a lot of military folks. And uh, so I was, uh, you know, waiting with bated breath on what this great job was going to be. And uh, they said, hey, uh, we found the job in recruiting. And, uh, and I started chuckling, not because I had anything against recruiting. I started chuckling because I said, now you and I both know, I don't know the first thing about recruiting. And, uh, and they said, it's not about what you know about recruiting, it's about taking care of people. And they said, uh, hey, you could go there and you could take care of people and offer your uh, you know, experiences uh, to the force. And I said, uh, okay, let me talk to my spouse and, and, and I'll get right back to you. I talked to my wife and she's like, absolutely. So off, off to recruiting, we went where I spent about a year uh, doing that. And then we got my mom situated. My mom's doing great today. Um, and then after that, uh, I went off to be the command chief in Afghanistan for, for about 13 months. Uh, came out of there and went to headquarters, United States Special Operations Command, uh, where Peaches and I met. 
uh, in Tampa. Uh, I, I was the headquarters superintendent there for about a year and then came to headquarters AFSOC to be the uh, command chief about two and a half years ago. Uh, and so, so if you put all that together, uh, I don't know if it makes you a MAGCOM command chief, but that's what got me here today. Uh, but I didn't do it on my own. I had a lot of people helping me. And so that's really the, uh, uh, the thumbnail sketch of uh, how I got here in, in 30 years, if you will. <laughs> Jeez. Well, you know, you, you bring up a good point. And I, I want to make sure that we uh, address it like, because you kind of hear the old trope that, hey, you know, within the military, not just the Air Force, but, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're a number, um, which sounds very, you know, non-empathetic and, and harsh. But um, but I think the Air Force is in particular uh, so common AFSOC actually do a really good job of of taking care of people or trying to find ways to to help people while still you know retaining talent because you know we kind of pride ourselves on on talent management and some it doesn't always work out like i mean that's just the reality of it it does not always work out but um you know i mean at the unit now at the 2-2 i i can think of two humanitarian uh, assignments that happened within i think two months uh, getting the folks out here just I, it was unexpected and then you know they they filed for humanitarian uh, they got it approved and you know the air force moved them out and it, it was fantastic and it worked works out well for them so that's pretty awesome that you had the same experience with that chief yeah you know i think you know to your point on that peaches um, the great thing about our air force is we talk about it like it's a mythical creature but it's really just people Right. And it's people who want to take care of people. But, you know, like I learned in my situation, people can't help you if they don't know. Right. They can't help you if you don't know. And so once people knew what I was doing, people jumped into action to help me. They didn't need to. They didn't need to do anything. They could have said, hey, he put his papers in. Sign our brother. Uh, and they didn't do that. And so uh, I think we always have to keep that in mind that, hey, there's not a conspiracy theory of, of the mythical creature. It's all of us. And it's the relationships that we hone and we sow through time. And, and it comes back. And like you said, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't because like everything in life, timing matters, right? Timing and opportunity always matter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the Chiefs group is actually more uh, secretive and uh, ninja-like than those data master organizations that you worked for, as far as I can tell. I don't know how they, they do anything, but they, they work magic, and it's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and I think to your point, I mean, it, it is kind of magical and ninja-like at times, and, uh, and people forget that the, you know, the Chiefs group itself is about five people. Uh, it's not, you know, a bunch of people in there, right? It's a chief, an E8, and and I think four or five E7. So so let's just call it, you know, six, seven folks, right? But when you're only managing, I say only, uh, when you're taking care of about 2,600 chiefs, uh, it's a lot easier than our Air Force Personnel Center that's trying to manage 270,000, right? And so I think we can expect a little bit more one-on-one -on -one and a little bit more care directly. Uh, but once again, it's it's what you have done with that relationship through time. Uh, if you weren't very good to it, it might not be very good to you, right? <laughs> so, uh, and, I, and I think that, uh, I think I was a beneficiary of, of not uh, uh, lighting the place on fire, if you will. This entire time, I thought it was some smoke-filled cloak and dagger uh, place, but I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't disappear after I give away their secrets. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chief, you um, you brought up that you were uh, the command chief in Afghanistan, and and you know we've we're out of Afghanistan now. You know we spent the better part of twenty years over there um, doing doing good work um, through some very political times, 
um, a lot of combat, a lot of lull as well in the combat and action and stuff like that. And, you know, AFSOC has been, uh, to, to brag, right, AFSOC as a whole has been kind of at the forefront of operations in Afghanistan and other locations, but specifically Afghanistan. Um, and I know that we're kind of in a transformational transition period right now. So it, like in your opinion, and I would, I would, I'm going to broaden the question instead of it, it's not just enlisted, but AFSOC as a whole, like how do we, in your words, become the AFSOC that we need? Yeah, yeah, great question. And, you know, this is something that uh, Lieutenant General Slife, the AFSOC commander, and I have spent the last two and a half, two and a half years on. Obviously, we weren't out of Afghanistan at that point, but we knew, uh, you know, some of these things were going to come to an end at some point, right? And so, uh, as you look at at that, and you look at the AFSOC strategic guidance that really is coming up on, at the end of this month will be two years ago that that was put out. Um, you know, and, and you look at the lines of effort in there between develop, organize, and equip. Um, you know, all of that is to figure out where we need to go in the future, right? Because nobody's, we can't just say, hey, the last 20 years we were uber successful. And and so therefore that works. So let's just keep it going in the future. And, and I think to that point, uh, Peaches, um, as I look at it, you know, I, I do want to touch on the 20 years in Afghanistan for just a second. Right. I know there are folks out there that you know have differing views on on why we left, how we left and the like. Uh, that's not my job to comment on. But what I will say is uh the Air Force Special Operations Command that I was a part of for 20 years and the blood and the treasure and everything else that we spent in Afghanistan was not for was was not for for nothing. Right. Uh, everybody was doing what they were asked to do by their nation. Right. And every task we were given, we did. Right. And so whatever political decisions are made, those are beyond us. I don't get involved in those. Uh, I always tell people I'm the go do guy. You tell me to go do I go do. Um, and that's what we do for, for our nation. And so uh, my hat's off to everybody who served over the last 20 years, not just in Afghanistan, but Iraq and all over the globe. Uh, we appreciate their service. And they've done more than 99 percent of America has done on that front. And so uh, I, I want to take the time to make sure we, we highlight those people and, and to our Gold Star families and the like. Hey, you're not forgotten in this. Uh, you're just not. And so uh, I, I think that's important. But as we look uh, to the future, right, of, of what is the AFSOC we will need? Um, you know, we've got we've had a lot of stuff going on over the last two years, and and so I kind of hit on the three lines of effort effort as you look at develop, organize, and equip, right? And and really they're not in the order like, hey, you got to do develop, then you got to do organize, then you got to do equip, because really it starts with organize, right? You got to organize yourself the right way before you can start developing the right way, right, and equipping the right way. And so as we kind of look at it, and and really this is probably more for your audience. Uh, it really comes uh, home when you think of special tactics or the special warfare training uh, enterprise. And, and what I mean by that is uh, the work that's been done by that enterprise for uh, not just the last 20 years, but since the inception has just been incredible. But it's always evolved, right? It's evolved with a lot of talent and agility, right? And so as we look to the future, this same formation is going to be more valuable in the future than I will say it was the last 20 years. Right, because we're going to really get into what is truly special operations. Right, some of the stuff we were doing over the last twenty years was commodity activities. Right, these were things that other other parts of our formation could have done. Maybe not as well, maybe not as fast, or maybe not as agile, but they could have done it. Right, maybe not in the early days, but certainly as time went on. And so, as we look to the future of AFSOC and, and we look at what is a, our competitive advantage, we know that's our airmen. Right, but we know that with our airmen 
uh, and their competitive advantage. We are flexible, we are agile, and we're great problem solvers, right? And so, but if we don't align the force correctly and look at all the things that we've done or haven't done, uh, then all we're doing is, hey, that's just the way we've always done it. Well, that's never been satisfying to any of us. Nobody's ever liked that when they heard that inside of a unit, um, right? And so, uh, so as you look at those three lines of effort, I, I think it's key, um, especially on the organization side, right? As you look at this, uh, you know, the force generation model, right? All of Air Force Special Operations Command is learning from special tactics on this. You know, special tactics has been doing this for 10 years, right? The rest of AFSOC is coming along now right? You look at our new command and control model, which is part of uh, organization. Really, you know, that was brought in from the special tactics enterprise. And so I think what happens sometimes as we talk about the future, I think special tactics at times can feel like, hey, we're not as relevant in the future operating environment. And my argument is that's absolutely not true. You're going to, the special tactics enterprise is going to lead AFSOC into the future, Right, because of all the things we've learned. Now, what we what we do have to do is we have to look at those things. Whether it's the the future ground operator, what does that look like? Right, there's been a lot of talk inside of the uh, community of, hey, uh, what are we doing with that? Where are we at in that? What's going to happen with that? I can tell you, you know, we've had uh, you know process teams working through this. We've had different insights to this, and the reason we haven't brought it to the unit level yet is because this is truly headquarters work right now right? It's headquarters work now, right? Now, I know if I'm inside of the unit, I want to be a part of that, right? Because I believe that, hey, I can help shape that future. But what we need to make sure our operating force does is that they are honed and skilled on what we need them to do every single day, right? Whether that's counter VEO, right? Whether that's crisis response, we can't all run to what the new thing is in the NDS of, hey, let's look at the four plus one and everything else. And I think we've got a lot of people that want to do that. But what we need our folks to do now is, uh, especially in the special tactics enterprise, let's think about this. For the last 20 years, you know, it was deploy, come home, reset, deploy, come home, reset, right? And now we have a chance really to build some resiliency, spend some time with our families, hone all of our training, not just, you know, what we're going to do in, in those parts of the world. And so I think what, what I really ask of our people is take this deep breath while you got it, right? To get all your, all your stuff together inside of your units, at your houses and everything else, because the world's not slowing down, but we need to take this tactical pause here that we're, that's been presented to us to do that. Meanwhile, while still maximizing our education, training, and experiences, right? And so as I look at what is the AFSOC we will need, hey, we know what the National Defense Strategy says. We know who, who are, uh, are our strategic competitors or, or whatever the, the latest term may be for that, um, right? And I say that not pejoratively. I say that because depending on what verbiage comes out in the National Defense Strategy next month, that's what we'll all glom onto and that's what we'll use. But at the end of the day, all we want from everybody is we need you to do the job that you've been given. I don't need you to do the job of the AFSOC commander, right? The AFSOC commander will guide us and help us get there. But none of these decisions are being made in a vacuum, right? And so there's a lot of teams going on. And I just ask for people's tactical patience on this as we work through it, because we're building the force for 10 years from now, not the force for 10 days from now. Does that make sense to you? No, it does. And I and I, I appreciate the answer. And I, I actually... I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but I would I would love to maybe maybe dive in if you wanted to on the whole future ground operator. But I don't know if that's appropriate because you're right. It is it is MAGCOM work right now. But I mean, you're you nailed it. So many guys at my unit, to include myself, want to dive into that, want to help problem solve that, want to help shape what that's going to look like. 
Um, so I, like I said, I don't know if you'd like to get into that or not, just because it's in its, you know, infancy stage. Yeah. You know, peace. I'm happy. I'm happy to uh, talk about it to some degree. Right. Because what I don't want to do is get out in front of uh, Lieutenant General Slife on any of this. Right. Because there's a lot of things where decisions haven't been made. There's just a lot of thoughts on the table, you know, to look at what we should or should not do. Right. And and I think as as you guys are probably aware, uh, you know, Colonel Stu Parker is the one who's been leading this, you know, life ta- lifelong special tactics officer. Right. And then part of his team has been Nate Hogue and and uh, Captain Morgan Mosby uh, and others. Right. And so there's been numerous ST folks in, inside of that, along with others, right, who, who may see it differently, you know, much like when we talk about diversity and inclusion, right? This is a great place for that because you need people that see the problem set differently, not the way you may have always seen it, right? And I realize that's not in the normal sense of how we normally talk about diversity and inclusion, but I think, you know, this is diversity, this is cognitive diversity and experiential diversity we're talking about here. And so as they've kind of walked through this, they've come up with a couple different models of of do you end up having, uh, you know, one core specialty uh, inside of uh, AFSOC, you know, much like we have with uh, combat controllers and special reconnaissance, right, where they don't exist anywhere else but inside of AFSOC. I realize you have a few in AETC, and but you get my, you get the gist. The majority is right here, unlike our pararescue and TACP who are here in ACC and in other places, right? And so there's look, we're looking at that. And then do you bring in another piece to that, to that main core that kind of brings in some really functional expertise, right? That, hey, you don't need to be in that unit full time, but we bring you in, we bring you out to get you developed doing other things. And then you've got what, you know, you guys uh, often think of as combat mission support and like, what does that look like going forward, right? And so as we kind of look at all this, we're trying to figure out in the future, what is the right thing we need to do for the nation, right? Because what we don't need is we don't need more Navy SEALs, we don't need more Green Berets, and we don't need more Marine Raiders, right? Those are already covered down in the, in the, in the places that they are. And so what we don't want to do is be duplicative, right? And that doesn't mean that our people couldn't do it or do it better. They absolutely could do it, and in some cases do it better. Uh, but that's not what the nation's asking of us. So as we continue to flesh this out, uh, this is absolutely going to get to the 2-4 uh, the SAL and the Special Warfare Training, and we're going to work through this together. This is not going to be done on the third floor of AFSOC, slap the table and, and, and hand, off the, hand out the marching orders. That's not where we are. Um, but this is hard, right? This isn't easy because we need to make sure what we're doing is the right thing uh, going forward. But the most important thing, no matter what we do, is that if we build the people with the right uh, attributes and skills, they will have the flexibility and agility to change to whatever we need them to do, right? Somebody had said to me a, a few weeks ago, I was in a, in a session and, uh, and, uh, and I think it was a special tactics operator, but I'm not exactly sure. We may not know what the, for- the force of 2035 needs to look like, but as long as the force of 2033 can adapt to 2035, we built it right. And I think that's where we need to be, uh, right? Because no matter what, we won't, we won't get it exactly right because we're never able to predict the future uh, the way we want to. I mean, history has shown us that. Um, so, uh, Peaches, I don't know if that gets to, uh, uh, to what you were asking or if that gives you a, a, a little bit of a snapshot, but uh, over to you for your thoughts. Oh, it does. And, and I, I be- believe me, there's, there's a lot of people are anxiously, anxiously awaiting what that's going to look like and, and how it's going to kind of flow out to the unit. So I, we get the question all the time, especially after, after you're in the commander's visit um, a month or two ago now. Uh, so it was good. It was a really good visit and it generated a lot of conversation, which is good. I mean, that's, it's what I like. It's a good conversation. 
Yeah, Chief, and I would say that you're hurting my feelings because all the comments that I wanted to make, you kind of all stole out from underneath me. I was like, I, I think well, one of the big concerns is, you know, we, we're coming out of this this 20-year conflict where everybody's been doing the same thing uh, with a pretty set mission set. And, um, what you know, one of the, the problem is, is everybody's worried about the standards and, and who we're selecting, who we're training, and, and how we're doing all this stuff. But I think you nailed it when you said that we're needing the, we're going to need the same type of people. We're going to need the same uh, ground force uh, people to do the job, whatever that job is. But I think uh, overcoming the, the the sanctity of the organizations and institutions is what we're running into at that wall. And uh, how are we going to gain that flexibility to get around that? Uh, you know, the kind of the old guard, how we how we see things, how we all have our set ways and patterns of doing things and getting after the mission. Uh, how do we get around those barriers to uh, to pr- produce this this flexible fighting force that the uh, Air Force is asking us to produce? Yeah, great question. And that one, uh, uh, that one we spend a lot of time on, right? And, and we do because uh, there's certainly a lot of pride uh, in, in, you know, in one personal um, hardship, right? Going through things and, and, and having the mental fortitude to get through it and the physical uh, ability to get through things. That's not lost on anybody, right? And, and some of that just drives down risk. Right. And so we certainly understand that, that, you know, you have people uh, on the objective or out doing whatever it is we need them to do and they're not going to quit. Right. So that's not lost on anybody in this. I think what, the question we have to ask ourselves is as we look to the future and we look at standards, uh, nobody's talking about lowering standards. We're talking about maybe the standards are different from the standpoint of maybe now I need somebody who can do X or Y instead of, you know, lift 500 pounds or run a four minute mile. I'm not saying that that's not valuable, but maybe I need somebody who speaks three languages and, and it has a 150 IQ, right? Who can do different. And that doesn't mean that you don't have folks in your formation that can speak three languages. Come and, on now, Chief. You know, you know that I ain't <laughs> have it. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> you know, but I say that because I think oftentimes when we talk about standards or adjusting standards, people think we're talking about lowering them. There has been zero talk about lowering standards at headquarters AFSOC, right? Uh, our brand is on the line right? Uh, the AFSOC brand, the special tactics brand, we value th- that, right? And your brand carries a lot, right? And so that's why when we talk about it, I know people are automatically going to go there like, hey, they're talking about lowering standards or, or they're going to make it less arduous to make it through the process. That has not been the discussion. The discussion has been, what is the force we need for the future? What do we need them to do to get after special operations in the future operating environment. And I think that looks different than it is today, but it's not completely different than it is today, right? The things that make our special tactics enterprise uh, successful today are many of the same things we need to make them successful in the future. I just think that we have to broaden our view on this a little bit to say, okay, if we are going to do some of the things in, uh, uh, I'll be careful here with the classification stuff, in a sensitive activities realm, uh, some of the things that we do today may not fit into that of how we uh, recruit, assess, and select and train people. That is what we're looking at to say, okay, in that future operating environment, what does that look like? Who do we need? And, and what kind of skill sets do they have to have? That's what we're talking about here. But I think some people are, ta- are thinking, hey, we're just talking about getting a bunch of people that, hey, there's no standards and, hey, come on in because uh, you can code something. That, that's not where we're at. That is not at all where we're at. Um, so, uh, so for your viewers out there or your listeners out there, hey, standards are going to remain high inside of Air Force Special Operations Command. I can promise you that. Yeah, I, I think I think everybody's kind of getting that message, but I, I think um, the way I see it, and as an SR guy pushing that, uh, uh, projecting forward, I think the way that we uh, look at the teams, what what's what's who's part of the team and who's combat mission support, 
And correct me where I'm wrong, but I think those lines in the future are going to get blurred because as, as I'm looking forward to what my guys uh, in particular are trying to get after, having a uh, uh, some other career fields that have you know, some of the training we have, but maybe not the exact same, and, and us having that crossover capability to cover down in the last tactical mile. Um, like I said, those, 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 but like we have those institutions that keep us away from each other to a certain extent and bringing those people together to, to accomplish that mission is, is where I'm seeing the problems. But am I, am I kind of correct on that? Where we're kind of, we need to kind of meld everybody with certain skill sets for the greater skill set together uh, to get after these, uh, these future mission problems. No, brother, I think you're right on on that. And I think what we need to keep in mind when we have this discussion, right, to use uh, the last tactical mile as the example, right? Uh, Now, if you're going to go do a raid somewhere, hey, I got it, right, of what you need to have on your team. Uh, But let's say, um, you know, say you're going to say you're going to go do something that that the skills aren't inherent to that team. Right. But what that te- what, what that individual needs is a blocking force to get them there to do whatever that thing is to the objective. Right. And um, because we're on an unclass, you can probably fill in the blanks there on what I'm thinking of. Right. But your that team's job would be to make sure that that person who has that unique expertise can get there in that last tactical mile to get the effect that we want for the nation, because it wouldn't do us any good to train everybody to do all of those things, because what we'll end up with is a jack of all trades and a master of none. And when it's time and the nation is on the line and we need somebody to hit a button or do whatever else, that's not the time to go. Do we have the right people here with the right training to do that? Because there are certain people, you know, the example I like to use is like a nuclear scientist. We don't train everybody in the world to be a nuclear scientist, but we need a nuclear scientist to figure something out. We go to the nuclear scientist right? I don't need to train every ST individual to be a nuclear scientist, right? So does, uh, so as I kind of walked it, that's what we're thinking of. But when it comes down to doing something that is going to take, uh, like what we've done in the last 20 years, absolutely, you need a, a set of people to do that. But you also need a set of people who can go that last tactical mile for that high-end thing that's a one-off that very few people in the world have that level of expertise on. Um, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, Chief, it does. And I, I think it's it might be hard for some of our audience members to kind of grasp what we're talking about, but uh I, I think I got what you're what you're putting down. Well, okay. I mean, I tell you what, it would be it would be eye-opening if people could hear this kind of conversation in a classified setting because I in all honesty, it's it's scary. Like when you really get into the the no kidding, this is the truth, this is the the secret, top secret information that's out there. And you kind of sit back and you go, oh, wow, I had no idea or wow, this is that's really scary. Um, And I know talking to um, like talk to Chief Bass a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, we had some other other folks come in and give us some some briefs. And it was just kind of like it's one of those things where you're you're just trying to take all the information in, digest it. And you're like okay, how do we get after it? And then it really helps you focus on, or at least for, for me anyways, you know, all these things that, that were, we get upset about, or we, you know, kind of focus on, you go, wait a minute, how does that help me defeat this competitor or this, this state, this country or whatever it is? Like, how do, does it help me? Are we, am I focusing on the right thing? Um, and that's really what I got out of. I get out of these classified briefings all the time. So it would blow people's uh, mind to actually hear the stuff that we get told. Well, we've we've had twenty years of kinetic solutions, and I think it's hard to turn that corner into the uh, non uh, non kinetic solution. 
Yeah, that is that is that is such a great point, right? And in, in the environment that we're in, and in the environment we will be in, right? That's why you know a level of expertise in certain things you have just got to have it. And so I think to both of yours, both of y'all's points is when you start thinking at the TS level and the like of, hey, we have a lot of smart people solving a lot of hard problems uh, in our nation. Uh, I think what happens at times is is we get sucked in a little bit too too much into social media in, in our echo chamber, right? Uh, no matter what that may be, whether it's what the nation's doing, uh, what's happening with a pandemic, whatever it is, this is what happens, right? And so we, we buy into the the hype, uh, but rest assured, um, you know, the Department of Defense and uh, more specifically Air Force Special Operations Command, uh, we're interested in solving hard problems for the nation. And that's what we're getting after here. And so uh, so for your listeners and, uh, and your viewers out there, yeah, we may not be able to delve into the classified side, uh, but if you get on board this team, you'll get out, you'll figure out what's on the other side. Uh, and I think you'll be pretty impressed by what you find. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and to your point, Chief, like to the folks that are listening and considering coming in, like we need you. Uh, you had mentioned the cognitive diversity. Like I think that's one of the things that makes America the strongest possible is that not everybody comes from the same cultural background, has the same cognitive level. You know, uh, my strengths, you know, pick up for, I won't say you chief. Well, actually, yeah, I'll say you chief. Your, your weaknesses and then your strengths pick up for mine. And then Trent just, Trent clears up the mess that both of us leave. So, um, <laughs> so it's like we need people. And, and to my, to my kind of next question is how does AFSOC, um, you know, General, General Clark had mentioned uh, in the Softcast, the SOCOMS podcast. So if you guys haven't checked that out, please do, because uh, Sergeant Major Parrish and, and Command Chief Olson do a very good, or uh, Command Chief Smith do a very good job on there. But General Clark was on there and he talked about SOCOM remaining the, the partner of choice in strategic competition and doing a joint combined uh, exchange training and that kind of stuff. So how does AFSOC kind of fit into that, ensuring that we remain the partner of choice? Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's really good. I mean, because I think as, you know, as General Clark stated, right, you know, as, as you look to the future and, and, and you look at the partners and who we're going to work with and the like, this gets to our for- fourth generation model, right? And, and once we get our fourth generation model correct and synced up uh, with the other parts of SOCOM, right, as we, because let's face it, being the partner of choice is because they trust us, right? When we come into their country, we're going to do the right thing. You know, our morals and our values are right and, and they align, right? And so I, I think as, as we look to the future on this, that's going to become more and more important. But that's why the fourth generation model is more important because if we come into your country and we've got all of our stuff in one sock, and you go to partner with those nations uh, to help them get after the things that they need to get after for whatever works best for them. Hey, then we're in this together, right? And, and, I, and I think our partners understand that. And I, and I think the reason we've remained the partner of choice for so many people is because um, when, we, when we get on the ground with people outside of whatever policy may be, we're going to do the right thing for the right reasons, right? Because that's who we are as Americans, right? Yeah, we may have somebody who makes a misstep occasionally, but that is, that is not the norm. Right. I mean, uh, you know, there's always going to be one bad apple in a bushel, but uh, that doesn't that doesn't spoil the rest. Um, And so as I look to the future, I think about getting back to training to your point, uh, Peach, is about J sets and the like. Right. I mean, that's that's fertile ground for us. Right. Because we want to help our 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 allies and partners that are out there. And and I think what we normally find is when we go and we have a successful engagement in one country, there's another country that says, hey, when are you going to come in uh, and participate with us? Right. And, and I think as long as we stand by what makes us America and then 
more specifically to the Air Force, if we stand by our core values of integrity, service, and excellence when you're in somebody's country, uh, hey, this is all going to work out just fine. Um, I won't get into what other countries may or may not do in this space. That's uh, for somebody else to to worry about. But I have great faith in our young men and women as they go out and, and, and partner with these countries uh, to become the partner of choice. And so that doesn't worry me at all. It's a matter of we need to make sure we put our money and our time towards the things that matter uh, and not get mired down in stuff that doesn't matter, right? And building partnerships and allies, I, I think, is uh, right in our right in our sweet spot. So uh, that that's what I think going forward. Oh, I I agree, and you know, going back to Afghanistan, I mean, twenty years of of conflict has helped sharpen us and and really, you know, honed our our TTPs and, and developed our you know, our medical capabilities, our recovery capabilities, our kinetic capabilities. So really, I mean, that's, that's a good selling point when you start talking to other countries about like, Hey, let's, let's play together. Let's train. Let's, let's exchange ideas uh, and training opportunities. You know, as you, as you say that, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, a few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to go to uh, McGuire Dick's Lakehurst, uh, you know, for Operation Allied Welcome, right? It's where many of our Afghan uh, guests are right now as they become, you know, citizens and and assimilate into America. And, uh, you know, what wasn't lost on me as I, as I dealt with, uh, you know, all of our great young men and women that are out there helping these folks along with the State Department is, is all these people who want to come to America to live the American dream. If we would have done, uh, if we wouldn't have been as good as we were in Afghanistan, you wouldn't have hundreds of thousands of people who want to come to America to live the American dream. And that's because of our military that was on the ground for 20 years dealing with those people and engaging, right? Uh, You know, we would know pretty well if that didn't work, if nobody wanted to come to America, but that's not the problem, right? They all want to come to America. And we owe many of of our Afghan guests that are here now a a great debt of gratitude for all they did for us uh, while operating inside of their sovereign country. So uh, I I offer that because I think it's important. That goes to that that question, right, of uh, of being a good partner and uh, and doing the right thing for another nation. Yeah, and I think uh, we we talk about it all the time. And I know on the uh, like the Instagrams, the social medias, people get tired of uh, you know the advice because we're always like just be a good person. And one of the things I say is that I, I need nerds that don't quit. But I think when we when we talk about it, we we can't overstate the importance of of who we are um, and and how our actions affect things on even like a geopolitical scale. Just by being uh, you know moral and ethical, and those those people that are willing to do whatever it takes, which are sometimes not the prettiest things, but also uh, we're going to do the right thing when it counts. And so I, I think, you know, you can get pretty jaded on the social media sometimes, especially in the, the the vet side of the house sometimes. But I think that is that is important is just to be that that good person. And then as we move forward with recruiting and everything, being that that, that technically savvy nerd that won't quit, however that looks in the future is, is incredibly important as we uh, as we push forward through this. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up, you know, I touched on it briefly before on, on social media and the like, and, and and certainly I'm not trying to get on a soapbox here or anything else. And, you know, I think what we tend to find a good bit is, is what people do is, you know, they get into that echo chamber, right? Who people who think just like they do, and they, they won't bring in any outside influence. And, it, and this gets to diversity again, right? I mean, uh, if, if I if I understand where you're coming from, and you understand where I'm coming from, one, we're probably going to make a a better, we're probably going to answer the problem better, number one. And two, it's going to be informed, 
right? And so I think to everybody out there, what we have to be careful of, especially with the audience that you have is just because you have a set group of friends on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever your thing is, uh, hey, expand that out past your comfort zone, right? To hear other people's perspectives. That doesn't mean you're always going to agree, but I'll bet you what will happen is they're going to provide something that's going to make you think. Um, and, and I know for me, uh, I'm all about it. I am. I wasn't necessarily that way when I was younger. Uh, it took me a while to, to mature and kind of grow into it. Um, and, and I'll tell you, you guys didn't ask me any books that I read lately, but I'm going to offer a book uh, that I read. Uh, and many of you have heard of it. I read the book, White Fragility. And, uh, you know, I had some people say to me, they go, why, why would you read that? I said, I want to know uh, what the view is in, and the like. And so uh, on the way out to Japan uh, a few months ago, I, I, you know, I obviously downloaded to my Kindle and I read it. And this book was so enlightening to me uh, about things that I had completely taken for granted, things I never thought about, things that, that I didn't think even applied to me until I walked through it. But that's and I'm not telling people on, on, on your on your on your podcast here, they need to go out and read that book. But that gets into the more you read and the more inputs you take, the more you'll be able to question how you view things in a good way. And you'll challenge your own thinking and you'll be able to challenge other people's thinking, not to change their mind per se, but to get get them to look at it through a different lens. And so I, I really offer that, but I realize I'm a little bit older. And so I'm probably a little more malleable on some of these things, uh, but uh, don't get caught up in echo chambers. I, I guess that's the most important thing to me. Uh, no, Chief. And, and I think uh, one of the great things about the soft community and what we've been doing for a long time is when you get out there and you travel and you see the world, it's, I think it starts help loosening up those joints inside your brain to be like, maybe the way that I think about everything is not exactly the way that the world uh, writ large operates. Um, but as we as we talk about, you know, the, you know, we are all over the world and we do a lot of different things and you're the AFSOC command chief overseeing uh, a, a pretty radically, you know, like it's crazy. All the stuff I can't even think about it. I can't even say it. Like all the stuff that you have to oversee. Uh, but what is it about uh, all those things that you're in charge of? What keeps you up at night? Yeah, you know that's uh, uh, you know as I think about that question, you know, I wouldn't say it's the same thing every day, but the theme is the same thing every day, right? The number one thing I'm always worried about is our airmen and our families. I mean, I am right because you know it, it doesn't matter what you know what the crisis is because it's much like a lot of things. Things are local. Um, and, and for instance, right, I can live here in the panhandle of Florida and how the pandemic impacts Florida is completely different than how it impacts the 353 in uh, 353 Sao in Kadena or the 352 Sao in Mildenhall, right? Because it's completely different or the 22 SDS at McCord, right? Everything is just different. And so you're, you know, you can look around and you can go, gosh, this, uh, this, uh, this pandemic uh, is, is really impacting things. And then you travel to places like Japan and England and you find out, Oh, it's completely different for them. They're not getting off the island, right? The families haven't been home in two years, right? That takes a real toll on your families, right? And so for Lieutenant General Slife and I, I mean, that's why we've been working overtime on things like this to get certain things approved, you know, policies lifted so we can get families out of there. How do we get them back into Japan? You know, working with uh, uh, different entities to make that happen. So, I mean, that is the number one thing that I worry about day in and day out when you look at the 21,000 person force plus the families. Uh, but probably what, what ranks equally to that is, are we taking the right amount of risk and the acceptable amount of risk at the right level, right? Because we want, we want to believe that, hey, you know, everybody's going to make the right decision and we've given them the right education, training, and experiences, which I, I don't necessarily agree with, right? I mean, because you only learn how to do a lot of really good risk management by experiencing things, 
right? And so, uh, you know, I'm all about empowering down, right? You know, the lower level we can go, the better, but you can't just blindly do that and just go, yeah, figure it out. You got it. I I trust you, right? We got to put them through the paces of that so they can learn, grow and develop on that front. And so, you know, there's a million other things that I worry about on a daily, on a daily basis, but most importantly, it's, it's our families and, and obviously our military members. And then where's the risk at and how do we buy down that risk to take best care of our formation, right? Because, if airmen are our competitive advantage, and we know that they are, if you don't take best care of them and put them in the best the best situations to succeed, we're failing them. And that's what that's that's what keeps me up at night. But there's other things depending on the day that uh, will keep me up at night as well. You know what? That that actually ties right into the next question I will ask you, and and this is at the risk of of having some hurt feelings, but. Uh, you know, you know this, Chief. We're we're Trent and I are senior NCOs first, and then podcasts are second. So, like, what can we as senior NCOs first, and then as podcasters, like, you know, promoting AFSOC and and Air Force and the DoD at large message? Like, what are what are some things that we can do better as senior NCOs and then podcasters? Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't think they're they're separate and distinct, right? Because uh, you guys are always senior NCOs, and then you're sometimes podcasters, right? And so, what you think as a senior NCO is going to come over in your podcast, right? So, I, so I think they're actually uh, almost the same thing. Um, you know, I, I think some things that that we're probably, and, and I won't say everybody, that we're probably not as good at as maybe we could be. You know, we have to remember that that standards are at the core of our profession, right? Standards, right? You know, standard you walk by is the standard you accept. Right. And so when we kind of walk through things, I think where we people want to be held accountable. They do. People want to be held accountable. But if you walk past that overflowing trash can as as uh, senior NCOs, then what you just told everybody else is, I guess, overflowing yeah, trash cans is just fine. Doesn't really matter. Right. Um, and so and as simple as that sounds, standards drive everything. Standards drive risk mitigation. Standards drive everything. There's a reason why when you bring leadership out to a uh, training event, you have a lot less go wrong. There's a reason for that, right? Because people up their game about that time, right? Because they know what the standard is, right? They're just trying to see what they can do inside of that standard. And so I would offer that to you first, right? Uh, But in line with that, I think the other thing that we have to keep in mind that, hey, hey, we're professionals at what we do, right? Uh, We are professionals professionals at what we do. Uh, this isn't a jobs program, you know, hey, you're not just getting paid on the first and 15th. When's my next four-day weekend? When we start min-manning, right? Uh, if you can't tell some of those things really great on me because uh, min-manning over the holidays is not an excuse to, to kick work till January. If there's work that needs to be done over the holidays, get the work done. Right. Um, right. If there's work that needs to be done over a four day weekend, get the work done. Um, right. And and I say that not to be mean to anybody. That, that, that's not my intent. My intent is, is that, you know, it's not about punching the time clock. It's about making the time count. Right. Let's come in and get after it, because as you look to the future operating environment, it's not going to get easier. Right. It's not. It's not going to get easier. And so as senior NCOs, we have got to be OK with conflict. Right. We've got to be okay with calling people out on things that aren't right. Because if I'm one of one of your, your young listeners on there and I want to join this organization that's uh that is the tip of the spear, whatever you want to say, I expect standards to be high. I expect to be held accountable. I expect you to call me out if it's not right. But if you don't, then I go, well, I guess this is how we do it here. And then we will build a generation that does that. Uh, but what I'm always uh happy about is, and I believe in this, is that 
every generation that comes along is better than the last. They are, right? That doesn't mean they do everything better, but there's a lot of areas that they do better, right? Uh, I can remember when I came in, uh, probably like, like you guys, which wasn't as long ago as me, but when I came in 30 years ago, you know, I can remember the old timers saying to me, well, this is what the future generation looks like. Man, we're going to be in a world of hurt, right? But they did that just to get you going, right? Because they wanted to have you raise your game, right? And now when I talk to those same individuals that are retired now, they're like, boy, we're really proud of you and your generation, right? Because <laughs> you look at what we've done for the last 20 years, right? And we can do that in any space around the globe. It doesn't matter which competitors we're talking about, right? And so to me, that's what it's about. So a senior NCOs, hold the line, hold the line, hold the line. Don't just go, ah, it's just the way we do things now or whatever else. Yeah, we've got numerous policy changes that have happened. There are some people that have lost their mind over the changes in uh, AFI 362903 or dress and appearance uh, AFI. Hey, maybe some of those uh, were absolutely necessary because uh, it was stupid why we had some of those rules to start out with, right? Just because you're changing it, does, this goes back to the standards thing we were talking about earlier. Just because you're changing it doesn't mean that the old standard was the right standard. Right. Uh, but but I'm a believer in let our people make some make decisions at their level as long as the risk isn't too high. So uh, I think we could talk about this for a long time. But what I would offer is as you guys are podcasters and, and, and you guys are looking at it, as you guys think about what's made you successful and your organization successful, as long as you're plugging that back into your podcast, I think that's all we can ask for from you guys. Uh, and I know I've listened to a few of your guys' uh, podcasts. Very impressed. I think it's uh, it's super uh, professional and, and the way you guys handle it is amazing. So uh, good on you because it's not easy to do what you guys do. Oh, appreciate it, Chief. Uh, yeah, look at that. You've listened to some of our episodes. <laughs> I, I, I'd wonder which ones, but we'll call, that's, that's cool. Terrifying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like I said at the beginning, Chief, we are uh, respecting your time and, and we want to make sure that you're able to get off to who you've got to meet. So um, thanks again for coming on. Uh, really engaging conversation. And and I think this is going to be one of the one of the popular episodes because you covered a lot of ground, in which is not surprising when you're at the uh, the command chief level that you do, <laughs> that you are in the, the strategic vision that you guys are, are working through. So definitely appreciate you coming on. And uh, afterwards, we'll have to get your shirt size so we can send you something out. Well, that sounds good. And uh, once again, if I may, I just want to thank you guys for having me on today. Uh, you know, hey, if there's something I didn't hit or, or, or didn't catch for you guys, just let me know. Uh, have, you know, it doesn't have to be about the podcast. It's just about for your organizations and units. Uh, I'm always available to you. Anything that uh, that I can offer to you. And then the other thing I would say is, hey, you know, my thoughts I provide today. Hey, those are just based on my uh, experiences in the Air Force. Uh, everybody's got some. Uh, I'm just giving you my perspective and, uh, and sharing you where I come from. And so, uh, so uh, that's what I'd offer to you all and uh, happy holidays to you. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Chief. We'll, uh, I'll be in contact. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.